0: Hey guys just a heads up this episode is going to be slightly different in that um the guests wanted to read their testimony they have been giving it um at a few different places and they had it written down so they wanted to read it and then do questions after that um that being said she has an incredible story and i think you're going to love this episode <laughs> welcome to the Not a Victim podcast. Not a Victim is a show about learning to live a life without excuses. Today's guest is Dina Crane. Okay, so just tell me a little bit about your background and your upbringing and uh, just all that stuff.
1: I was uh, born in Atlanta and adopted by my grandparents as a baby. I always wanted to know why my mom, Donna, didn't want me. I would hear, hear stories about how she liked to party all the time and she lived a wild life causing all kinds of problems. I became very hurt and confused at a young age. The enemy was already working on me, getting me right where he wanted me. I was so angry and it became very rebellious against the family that was trying to love me and give me the best. Around 13, my family talked about sending me to live with other family members, hoping that they could do something with me. But to me, it was another rejection. I felt like nobody in the world wanted me. I made up my mind that I wanted to live with Donna after all she was my mom this is what I say was one of my biggest mistakes my life would change courses after I ran away in the middle of the night and hitchhiked to Clayton Georgia to live with Donna and her husband I started skipping school smoking pot drinking and occasion occasionally the adults in my life would give me crank life was one big party after a good party when everybody had been up for days and wasted Donna and her boyfriend would always end up physically abusing me this abuse went on for about six months until I ran away from them and went to the police begging for help they said they would help me but that very night I would have to go and spend the night at my neighbor's house Donna's boyfriend was waiting for me in the driveway that night was a nightmare it ended when he called 911 on himself, holding me at gunpoint, and told them to come and get me before he killed me. The next year was spent in DFAC's custody, seven different high schools in one year, several foster families. I went to many different group homes and a trip to RYDC. I would always get kicked out for fighting, getting high, or just run away, thinking that I could do a better job with my life than anyone else. When I was 16, I decided that the way to be in control of my life would be to get married and get defects out of my life. I ran away from a foster home, found Donna, and got her to sign for me to get married. I had a baby at 17 and a divorce at 18. The next couple of years, I tried to do the right thing, but I was not happy unless I was partying or surrounded by my friends. At 20 years old, Donna gave me my first needle. After this, I never smoked pot again or did anything that I couldn't use a needle to do. At 23, I was taking a friend to work, and I was the first one to come across a wreck. As I got closer to the car, I could see that Donna was inside of it, dead. My life was already a mess, but in that moment, I began to come undone and spiral out of control. I knew that I would never have the relationship that I wanted with her. I was so angry at God and I thought, what kind of cruel joke is this? This is another turning point in my life. This is the time that I was introduced to meth. It took me to a different place where nothing mattered. I was angry, lost and high, impossible to love. I made up my mind that I would not get hurt anymore and that nobody really loved me. The drugs helped me believe all these lies from the enemy. I wouldn't accept any responsibility for my life, and I felt like nobody understood or really even cared. The next 12 years I spent stealing to get high or doing whatever I had to do. I got arrested 15 times, went to boot camp, rehab, and eventually prison. I was married five times and had three kids and didn't raise any of them. In July of 2012, I was arrested for the very last time. I swallowed a large amount of meth that day on the way to jail. There's no good reason that I survived except the loving grace of God. The mess that I was, he thought I was to die for. I asked my probation officer to let me go to a faith-based rehab. He laughed in my face and said, we don't send people like you to rehab and slam the cold steel door in my face. What he said was the beginning of my healing process. I began to think, what kind of person was I? Was I the kind of person that people think would do harm to the girls that were really trying to get their life together? My mindset began to change and I knew that my life depended on me getting some help. I prayed for a miracle. A few months went by and my probation officer came back and said he had time to get over being mad at me and he was going to let me go to New Beginnings. Once I got there, I started letting down the walls of rejection and pain. I started facing what had happened and taking responsibility for my choices and my actions. My life began to change. I encountered God's love and became a born-again believer. I learned about forgiveness, and I forgave Donna and her boyfriend for hurting me, and I realized that they were also God's children just like I was. I forgave myself. Forgiveness and taking responsibility was huge for me. I had held my grandparents responsible for most of my life. I had so much resentment and bitterness toward them. I thought they didn't love me because they wouldn't enable me. When this thinking began to change, so did my relationship with them. I realized that they loved me and they only ever wanted the best for me. I hadn't spoken to my dad or my brother in 20 years. Today, they are two of my biggest supporters. God has restored everything the locust ate. He has shown me that I can trust him. He has given me a new heart and a new life. I'm not the same girl. I am a new creation. I identify with who God says I am, not a lost, broken, rejected little girl. My daddy is a king. I was mandated to stay at New Beginnings for 12 months, but I stayed two and a half years becoming a servant leader and a staff member. I went home to my parents' house and made a deliberate choice to stay involved in my church and working with the youth and teens. I held a job the whole time and continued to let God lead me. Today, he has blessed me with a mighty man of God for a husband. My life is blessing on top of blessing. Thank you for letting me share. I want to end by saying, no, I'm not a victim. I'm an overcomer. Okay, where to go from there? Uh.
0: (laughs) Some people will hear this, and as soon as it becomes a drug thing, they put it in this category in their mind. But a drug is just like any other vice. It's just a way to get away from what reality is. It's not really about the means. It's about why you're doing the drug or why you're doing whatever the vice is. I mean, I guess you sort of already covered this, but what did you feel like the drugs were sort of allowing you to not think about?
1: They were allowing me not not to feel... Like nobody wanted me when I was when I was high. I always like I said I was always surrounded by my so-called friends, mm. and so it was it was one big party.
0: Did any of them stay around uh, as your life uh, got healthier? or they where are they now?
1: No, <laughs> every <laughs> everything is different. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I think that's so. Uh, it's a small thing, but it's a big thing to point out that you can't really totally change who you are and keep all the same people no Uh, what about your uh your previous uh children what is your relationship with them like today
1: uh i have a 24 year old daughter a 17 year old son and a 14 year old son my 24 year old daughter she was around the most during my addiction and it's 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 bad, but I would drag her from house to house with me, and I never lost custody of her. I would just take her to her grandparents and leave her for a month and then show back up unexpected to get her. Um, and, you know, today she's, she lives with her boyfriend in Clayton, and my 17-year-old son I have not spoken to since he was five years old. Mm. My 14-year-old and I have an awesome relationship, and everything is good there. We see him as much as we can. He lives at the beach, so it's always a summer, a summer vacation. We get to go and see him.
0: That's great that you are able to reconnect with, with them. Why do you think, like, what's keeping you from sort of reconnecting with your 17-year-old? Like, are they just not believing in you being a totally new person? Or, like, you know what I mean? I don't know. What is? What would that be?
1: Uh, I've tried, um, probably about four or five years ago, I got in contact with his dad and we talked a little bit and his, his dad said he was so proud of me and he really saw the the difference in me. And we talked about me meeting Cole again and he said that he would ask Cole if he wanted to meet me and he, I, I guess he did that and Cole said, do I have to meet her? And, and so the answer was no, right. you don't have to meet her. So we're praying, I'm praying that God does restore our relationship, at least, you know, at least to the point where we can, we can speak and I can tell him I'm proud of him. And
0: Yeah. I think, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, this is so corny, but like maybe time will heal, partially heal it because he'll see this consistent, uh, good life, uh, that you're living and be like, oh man, that that is real actually she is yes. she is a different person yeah <laughs> so a lot of times when people are in between who they were and and a new version of them when they cut off all the old people they don't necessarily have the new people yet so there's like this very lonely season where you've cut off uh, all these people you used to hang out with and what used to be comfortable and what used to be normal And the new people, the new wonderful husband who, you know, follows God and all that stuff, that's not necessarily there yet. Um, Did you have a season like that? And even if not, you know, what do you say to the person in those shoes?
1: (laughs) In the early in my recovery for for two and a half years, I was at new beginnings. So I was surrounded by 150 other girls. So that that, of course, made it a little easier. And. And what my advice is to just make connections with with those people and people in a healthy recovery, so that when you go back like when I went back home, I never lost contact with them. well, I made a choice to become very involved in my church, and that was an intentional choice. There were times that I thought, well, maybe I could just miss this morning or but then I, I said, no, you know my my recovery is too important to me, and God means too much. He's brought me too far for me to go back now. So I I just, I was pretty persistent with the preacher and his wife and just insisted on them letting me serve wherever and whenever I could and got my foot in the door with the, with the babies, watching the babies, and mm-hmm. from there it moved on up to... The teenage kids, and and that just became an awesome part of my life. Just working with kids in general, right? Well, and 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 getting involved in groups. Celebrate Recovery has been huge hmm. in, in my recovery. And there's there's if you just look, there's all kinds of meetings. There's there's a meeting called Addicts at the Cross, and you, if you look, you can find you can find the right people in the right places.
0: Yeah, and and the the cool thing about so great recovery is it's like it sort of encompasses all of life like it you know there are people there that have some kind of substance thing obviously but it's not like it's just for any it kind of covers way more than that it's just about it's like a really really honest version of church in a way um, yeah okay so what would you say to someone who doesn't necessarily uh, believe in God at all and they think oh this is nice this nice woman used to think really bad thoughts and then now she thinks happy thoughts and so her life is good and it used to be bad <laughs> but they try to cut the God aspect out of why your life uh, has meaning now why it is healthy now um, what do you say to that person
1: the, um I would I would mainly go for God's grace, you know, just that His love and grace is what made the difference, and and that it's for everybody. It's not just for a drug addict, or I mean, it it's for it, all of us.
0: Right, and <laughs> so, see, yeah, I mean, some like pe- people that lean towards atheism, they think that, uh, you know, that your natural state is totally a spiritual. That there's no spiritual element, and then you're making up this thing in your mind or trying to. Again, trying to fabricate this false reality um, to make yourself feel better. I see it the total opposite. I see um, being a spiritual being as innate to being a human, and that people that try to turn that off are—it's like you know, seeing—it's like having a world of color and trying to see it in black and white. It's this weird thing where you're like cutting off a limb. You're you're turning off this part of humanity that is always there. And I said this in the last podcast, but anytime some like nine eleven thing or some massive widespread. Uh, tragedy happens, we instinctively turn to God. We know, we instinctively right. believe that he's there. I think the belief in God as our creator and as the person who is our maker, I think that is just sort of natural to us being a human. And that trying to pretend that we just like came out of nowhere almost feels less natural. Other than the the obvious ones, um, what are some like day-to-day patterns that you've changed? Like you mentioned earlier that you were gonna sort of skip church every once in a while Um, because it's not that big a deal but you were so wanting to change the way life was it was important to to say like no i do this every time i never miss this and like just like small patterns where you just go oh i used to be like hit or miss and now i never i always do these things i never do these things like you're like forcing order in a way that maybe you didn't have it before
1: yeah i have set boundaries my my boundaries are very important to me and you know, a, a simple one, but it's a big deal to me, is that I don't talk on the phone after nine o'clock at night,
0: hmm.
1: because there's really nothing that I need to be talking about with my friends that late at night. Hmm. I have, you know, if if I want to talk that late at night, I have my husband now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so that, that was that's a big one to me, and that may seem small to a lot of people, but right. it's it's what works for me.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it's more the principle than than what the actual thing is. It's a way of saying, like, no, like, I have, you know, I have standards now, I have boundaries now. Let me ask one last question, and that is how, um, when you approach the relationship with your, uh, with your husband, how did you go, okay, I want to do this different than I've ever done this before? Like, what are things that, I don't know, <laughs> just, I don't know, what are things that you maybe decided like, okay, I'm not going down the same road I've been down before.
1: Oh, wow. Yes. Our relationship was totally different <laughs> from the beginning to now. Um, we were obedient. That was important to us. Right. Um, we, we, had, we had known each other in addiction, and so getting back together in recovery and serving the Lord together has just been amazing to us and we didn't want to we didn't want anything to hinder god's blessing on our relationship mm. so we're both focused on that mm. <laughs> so we stayed obedient and faithful and we we go to meetings we you know and it doesn't even have to be that we go to the same meeting we we just decide what what's good for us
0: right yeah and i think like i said i think accountability is uh is a part of being super healthy that Again, going back to the, the atheist worldview, like, no, I'm going to make up right and wrong. I'm going to make up all the rules for myself. And then, you know, there are a, a host of problems with that. The main one being there's no objective right and wrong if there is no God. But, um, but that again, I think we're, we're created to be under a level of submission of morality and, and, uh, and of God. Um, yes, definitely. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. Thank you, Zach. Have a day.